You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Well, we've been uh, in a series uh, in the book of of Ezra, and I wanted to say Ezekiel, but I knew that wasn't true, Um, Ezra, and uh, last week uh, gave a pretty strong um, message, pretty strong call, um, and didn't really provide a lot of opportunities or next steps. Um, So I want to do that this morning because I think it's important if you're going to call people to step out and you're going to kind of call people um, to take action, you probably need to provide a few uh, opportunities to do that. So one of the things is in your worship folder this morning, there's an insert there, and it's an invitation from the family leader to an evening introduction to the Church Ambassador Network. I've been a part of the Church Ambassador Network for probably four or five years, and my primary role in the Church Ambassador Network is during the legislative session, which usually goes from about January to April or May until they kind of get their work completed there in Des Moines, I go to the Capitol and I meet with and I pray with legislators. Um, And I've been doing that, again, probably for the last four or five years, and it's just been amazing to me. And I was talking with uh, one of the members of the the family leader down there, Chuck Hurley, and we were just kind of talking about just the changes that we've seen take place uh, just just in the last seven or eight years since the Church Ambassador Network has been functioning there at the Capitol. And it is just, it's just a night and day difference. I mean, I remember going there and you could just feel darkness as you were in the Capitol. You could kind of just feel oppression uh, where now I just feel almost the exact opposite. There is just such a freedom down there. And there's just, you just feel that the presence of God um, is there. And basically the whole concept behind the, Church Ambassador Network is that, you know, uh, they believe that, that God has instituted government for the good of mankind. Sin ushered in chaos and wickedness and evil. And so God in his grace brought forth human government as a way to try to constrain um, that wickedness and that evil. And so they believe that the role of government really is to reward good and to punish evil. And one of the ways that they see government functioning is that they, you have the shepherds of the state, the, that would be our governor, that would be our legislators, um, and, and they see that they have a very, very significant role in in governing, in, in being able to reward good and to punish evil. So the, they have a, a place, they have a position there. They also see that um, God has, has um, brought forth and raised up shepherds of the church. And th- those are the pastors. And so what they, what they really try to do is they try to bring the shepherds of government and the shepherds of the church together, kind of like Joseph and Pharaoh. 
Um, Pharaoh would have never ever thought to do what needed to be done uh, with the seven years of plenty to plan for the seven years of famine. Um, he would have never ever gotten that plan without Joseph. Joseph would have never ever been able to implement that plan, that seven years of plenty. We're going to store, we're going to prepare for the seven years of famine. Pharaoh, Joseph could not have done that without the leadership of Pharaoh. And so we believe that God has raised up both the shepherds of the government, the shepherds of the church to come together to work and to solve uh, the issues that face us as a country. And that doesn't come without a lot of opposition. And so that's really our goal is, my goal as the shepherd of the church is to go down and to encourage and to pray for the shepherds of government. Um, I don't go there to talk about policy with them. I'm not there to tell them what I think on uh, X, Y, and Z. I'm simply there to encourage them in the word of God, to encourage them as God's servant, as God's shepherd of government, um, just to hear the voice of God and to be obedient to that. Uh, regardless of what they may hear, the pressures that come, that they're able to hear God's voice loud and clear and to be able to be obedient to that. And so they're gonna come uh, to Clear Lake. We've been asking for a long time if they would just get out um, and, and help people understand what the Church Ambassador Network is doing. So they're doing that. And they're going to be in Clear Lake on March 7th. Um, there's information in your bulletin. I just would strongly encourage you, if, if you're curious about what you can do um, to help turn the tides of wickedness to righteousness, if you're really concerned and really want to know what you can do to help uh, the, the shepherds of government, this is a great opportunity to learn what they're doing and, and the role you can play in that. So I would just encourage you in, in the strongest terms possible to try to make this event. We're going to, uh, Val, uh, uh, Val's not here. Okay, so I'm going to ask Val to kind of include a link in the email so that we can get this, uh, get people to sign up and, and go to this. They, they do want you to RSVP. So that's one thing you can do. Second thing you can do is Karen Campbell, uh, Karen, stand up so everybody knows who you are. Karen has brought some cards. Um, they are from the Concerned Women of America, and they are cards that we can write to our legislators it, to encourage them, to let them know that we're praying for them. Uh, if God would give you a scripture, that you could share that scripture with them. So she has cards um, that you can pick up following the worship service. They are addressed, they're stamped. All we need you to do is take it and just write a note of encouragement. I do this all the time with our legislators. It, whether it's a card, whether it's an email, whether it's a text message, just constantly letting them know, hey, I'm praying for you today. Here's a scripture that kind of came to my heart for you today. Share that with them. And I get so many comments back from from legislators how much that meant to them, how that particular scripture verse applied to them in a particular moment they were in that very day. And so again, it's amazing how God will use that really to bring a word of encouragement. It may be a word of instruction um, to their heart. So uh, Karen's gonna be out um, in the uh, 
right outside the worship center here. You can see her uh, downstairs. She'll be in the praise cafe. You can see her then. And I would love to be able just to um, get all of those spoken for this morning. And then we're going to try each week to kind of just bring something that, that's simple that you can do. Um, and I'm, I, I need to make sure that I get those prayer guides. I don't know if you were here when I talked about those, but I want to get that because, again, that's something that we can be doing as a congregation that, that are, it is simple. It's next steps because it does me no good to stand up here and talk about needing to get out there and do something and not give you next steps. So we want to be able to give you uh, next steps. And those are two next steps you can do is the Church Ambassador Network March 7th, and also just grabbing a card. And we're going to try to maybe do this on a regular basis, especially during the legislative session. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that this morning because I want to talk about opportunity and opposition because you're going to find this morning when we get into the book of Ezra is that with every opportunity that God gave to uh, the Jewish people, there all also came opposition. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning because our legislators are having a lot of God-given divine opportunities, but I want you to know they're being met with a lot of opposition. And we're going to see that uh, this morning because this is nothing new. Um, so um, I'm just curious, how many of you at one time or another in your life believed God was leading you and guiding you. I mean, you, you just had a vision for your life. You knew it came from God. You knew it was from God. And you just believed that God had made a way for you. And after a while, you kind of find yourself in a place or in a situation, or maybe you find yourself in a circumstance you never expected in your wildest dreams. I mean, you truly thought God was leading you and you only come to discover that you kind of find yourself on this stranded, deserted back road or an unexpected or unwanted delay. You thought you were going uh, the direction you were going, the way God was taking you in life was out of direct obedience to him. And again, you just find yourself or you find your life kind of on hold. You made a decision or you've pursued something you thought was out of a divine revelation from God. And it turned out to take you to what felt like a dry spot. Anyone but me? And out of frustration, you say, well, if God is leading me, he either doesn't know where he's going or he doesn't know how to get there or he can't seem to kind of make up his mind or I don't know how to follow or I must be out of his will or I must have missed something along the way because if God is leading me, how come I keep ending up on detours dead ends, and delays. And again, I think if we're all honest, every one of us have experienced those times, those moments, those circumstances with God. There are times where life just does not turn out the way we think it's going to turn out. And we find surprises all along the way, both pleasant and unpleasant. And I want to assure you, and I want to encourage you this morning 
that in those times, there may be a whole lot more to it than you just simply thinking, you're out of the will of God, or I just simply have missed his voice. Because God is oftentimes in those detours, in those dead ends, in those delays, God is using that time to do a deeper work in our lives we're not even aware of that God is doing. And it may be some spiritual discipline or God is just kind of rebuilding or he's redefining some spiritual uh, character issue within us. And today we're gonna look at, we're gonna talk about what may be going on during those dead ends, those detours, and those delays, and what God may really be up to. And again, we've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Ezra. Again, it's just a remarkable account of the Jewish people. Remember, they've left the land of captivity, Babylon, and, and they're going to return back to their homeland, uh, Jerusalem. And one of the things that we kind of discovered as we've been looking at chapters four through six of that book is that as this first wave of, of Jewish exiles returned to Jerusalem, and again, they're there. They're there, they've been tasked by God uh, to rebuild the temple. And, and as they do that, what you find as you read the story there is they just kind of run into roadblocks, dead ends, detours, and delays. And some of those roadblocks and detours, dead ends, and delays, they really end up being pretty significant challenges. So if you're following the story there in Ezra, again, you see that God has clearly orchestrated the timing of their release to return back to their homeland. God told them and through the prophets that it would be 70 years. And once that time had been fulfilled, God kept his promise. And, and he moved the, the heart of King Cyrus, as we saw, to, to allow the Jewish people to leave, to return, and to rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. And not only that, but also God has moved the heart of King Cyrus uh, as he encourages the people there, the, the Jewish people, uh, the Babylonians, to be able to give financially and, and to give resources into the rebuilding of the temple. As a matter of fact, King Cyrus goes so far as to return all of the furniture, the altars, the utensils, everything the Jewish nation needed in order to resume the work that they did there in the temple. As a matter of fact, these are the things that King Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple when he took the nation of Israel captive. He took all of those items, takes it back to Babylon. King Cyrus is so moved by God that he returns all of that for them to take that back and to reuse that in their temple. But what is striking is that as you discover that as the Jewish exiles return, again, it, it's that they're following God they're doing what God has called them to do. They're going where God has called them to go. And yet, as they go, as they begin to do the work, they face in roadblocks, detours, and delays. So much so, and I talked about this last week, that once the foundation of the temple is completed, the remainder of the work is stopped for years and years and years some of it for up to 15 years. 
And again, it causes you to ask that question, why would God lead these Jewish exiles back to Jerusalem? Why would he call them and commission them and make provision for them to do the work of rebuilding the temple? And then just to allow all of these roadblocks, these detours, these dead ends, and these delays... I mean, you're tempted to think, surely, if God has led them, if God has called them, if he's commissioned them, if he's made provision for them, then he should have made it easier for them to accomplish what he called them to do. And I think one of the spiritual principles at work here, and oftentimes we become blinded to this in the midst of those detours and those delays and their roadblocks, and you'll find this throughout the Bible, that while God is a builder, Satan is a destroyer. We lose sight of that. God's purpose is always to build. It's to edify. It's to move us forward. Satan's purpose is to tear us down. It's to destroy. It's to push us back. God's desire is to bless us. The scripture says Satan's desire is to curse us. God is a creator. Satan is a corrupter. So whenever it comes to the work that God's called us to do, whether as an individual or as a community, again, whenever God says, arise and build, the enemy will always counter by saying, oppose and destroy. Even the apostle Paul recognized this spiritual principle in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He said, there is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. And that great work that Paul's talking about is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ there in the city of Ephesus. And Paul says, not only do I see the opportunity that God has given me, he also saw there was great opposition to what God called him to do. And so we need to understand there's always gonna be this tension between the work of God and his people, and the work of Satan and his demonic minions. And you'll find this spiritual warfare, this spiritual opposition throughout the Bible where the devil is always working to oppose and to undermine the people of God and the plans and purposes of God. And here's the thing I want you to remember, and you see this again throughout the scriptures. Opportunity and opposition always go together. Opportunity and opposition always go together. And that's what you're going to see in these chapters of Ezra 4 through 6. For every opportunity God gave them, there was opposition. And with every opportunity, with every opposition, there are valuable spiritual lessons we can learn so this morning, I want to look at the three most prominent. I won't get to all three of them. I'll tell you that right now. So this morning, I want to just begin to look at the three most prominent oppositions the Jewish people faced there in Ezra 4 through 6, how they responded to it, and how they turned that to make it an opportunity to advance the work of God. Because what they did is what we need to do. The first opposition they faced was compromise. The first enemy they faced there was compromise. 
Ezra chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, again, Judah, Benjamin, they are two of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. So he's talking about a tribe of people here. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the Jewish exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, let us build with you. For we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since King Esharhaddon of Assyria brought us here. Now again, when you read this on the surface, this looks like a great opportunity. I mean, it looks like you've got a group of people who are wanting to come and to help and to be a part of what God's called them to do. It looks like a good thing on the surface. But then you ask yourself, well, who are these people? How many of you have heard the Samaritans in the New Testament? Yeah, Jesus, you know, had several encounters with Samaritans. It's, it's historically known that Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. And the people speaking and that were offering their help to Zerubbabel, to the other leaders, and really to the, the, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, these people were the beginning of the Samaritans. 2 Kings 17 tells us how these people ended up there. There was a pagan king who, who sent these people there to live in the land that was called Samaria at that time, and that's how they became the Samaritans. And as you read 2 Kings 17, what you discover is that it was true they worshiped the God of Israel, they served the God of Israel, but you'll find they also worshiped and served other false pagan gods. And if you remember, this is what got the Jewish people taken into captivity there in Babylon in the first place. It was their worshiping, it was their serving of false and pagan gods. And right after the Jewish exiles return and they start to rebuild the temple, lo and behold, there comes another opportunity to compromise their faith in God again. So Zerubbabel, the other Jewish leaders there, they were very, very aware of who these people were and what they believed. And that's why Zerubbabel responds the way he does in verse three. He says, you may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Now, what Zerubbabel, I think, understood there, as well as the other Jewish leaders, was that if we allow these Samaritans to be a part of the work that God is doing there to rebuild the temple, it's only going to be a matter of time before they're going to be leading and influencing the Jewish exiles back into worshiping and serving other false gods. Now, again, this is the important role these leaders played there. It was not only to supervise and to oversee the work that God had called them to do, but they were also there to provide leadership and accountability for the spiritual development and the maturity 
of these Jewish exiles. Again, to keep them from falling back into worshiping and serving false gods. That temptation to compromise our Christian faith is nothing new. Every generation, every church, every Christian faces the temptation to compromise their faith and trust in God, to, to compromise their faith and trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to compromise their faith and their trust in, in the word of God all the time. And as believers, we're tempted to water down the gospel message we're tempted to present a, a gospel of salvation without repentance. Oh, God loves you. Doesn't matter what you do. He loves you. We're tempted to preach that kind of a gospel. We're tempted to embrace sin as a way to love the sinner. Jesus never did that. Jesus loved the sinner and he rebuked the sin in their lives. He called them to repentance. Over the last several years, especially the last year or more, I have been witnessing more and more evangelical churches, evangelical leaders embracing the LBG, the LB, the LGBTQ plus agenda in their churches and in their ministries. I just have seen more and more Leaders coming out and just embracing that whole agenda. Recently, I saw one well-known pastor of a mega church in Georgia. And this was a pastor I really respected, looked up to, learned a lot from. Recently chided his congregation, saying that the LGBTQ people in his congregation, and get this, this is what he said to them, that these people had more faith than most Christians in his church. He said that many of the LGBTQ people in his church had more faith than he had. He said they were better workers and volunteers in the church. They were better givers. And he said, I wished I had a lot more of them in my congregation. And it just seemed to me through his statement that as long as they're willing to give money to his ministry, volunteer in his church, their lifestyle choices really didn't matter. And it really didn't have any spiritual consequence or impact on their relationship with God. Now to be clear, I would feel the same way if he were trying to legitimize adultery, divorce, pedophilia, transgenderism, pornography, or any other sin. Again, once you start compromising in one area of sin, you will start compromising in other areas as well. Once you start entertaining false religions, false religious ideas, it will not be long, I guarantee you, before the whole church is compromised and full of false religious teachings. Hey guys, I'm gonna ask that you take a seat and you stay planted till I'm done. I'm gonna take my authority here this morning. We're here for a reason and I want you to connect with that this morning. 
Like those Jewish exiles there in Ezra chapter 4, we've got to hold fast. We've got to hold true to the word of God in every area, in every sphere. And we've got to be unwilling to compromise or mix the Christian faith with other religions. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.